in an unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma is rarely that way. Even a hundred thousand million kalpas having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I allow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good morning. Good morning. The sound and the feel of the rain are quite wonderful. Uh, we're, uh, we're lucky to have it. It just felt wonderful as I'm walking over here. Uh, So today, five members of our community, uh, our friends, are going to receive lay ordination. And so I'm going to talk about lay ordination, about receiving the precepts, uh, and uh, leave time for questions that you may have. Uh, but I wanted to preface it by just relating where a, a discussion or a circumstance that I just came from, like I was sitting in the living room, looking over my notes and uh, thinking about the talk and thinking about the precepts. And a, um, a longtime friend, somebody that I have known for for 60 years almost, and have great affection and res respect for, called to, to want to talk about and listen to uh, what we respectively uh, were making of the crisis between Israel and Palestine. And you know, immediately we were drawn into a, a very deep conversation. And I'm not going to have that conversation here. But what occurred to me as I was walking over was, we need to be having these conversations. And we need to be having them in the, the context of the the precepts, the ethical framework for how we want to be in relationship to people. And that's, that's the context that I keep trying to, uh, it's not something I can just invoke that, that provides a map in some really direct way, but it does keep me thinking about how to get in relationship, how to be in relationship, uh, how do I want to respond? How does a community want to respond in uh, circumstances where terrible things are happening, which may or may not be within our control? And so I just, I just wanted to say that this is the tender context for the ceremony that we're going to be doing this afternoon. And I want to remind you of that and just remind you to keep the precepts in mind when we're having these conversations. And also to say, we, you know, each of us, both as individuals and as a community, uh, it's important for us to hear each other and to um, not to expect that we're all going to agree. 
but to respect uh, the complete humanity of each person that we're speaking to and try to hold that in mind even where we may have really significant differences of opinion. So I think that we're, we've been, some of us have been discussing, uh, you know, how to create uh, a context or a form for having these discussions within, within this community. Uh, and there's some models that I think some of us are familiar with <clears throat> and hopefully that'll be happening. But this just, you know, I was just very moved to, to hear from this old friend who uh, took the step to open up a conversation. And I realized, uh, and I've been having conversations like this and, you know, with, with people in, uh, in the community here, in my extended community, this happened to be somebody who was a musician. Uh, and uh, I think it's important. And again, the context there, the Bodhisattva presents. So let, let's just take a couple of breaths before I move on from this. So as I said, uh, five of our members will be receiving uh, lay ordination from Ryushin and myself this afternoon. Uh, and we've been holding these ceremonies for nearly 40 years. Uh, and I can pretty clearly remember the first one that I attended, which was uh, either in the spring or the fall, I can't remember that clearly, uh, either in the spring or the fall after Sojin Roshi received Dharma transmission. He received Dharma transmission in the, uh, I guess it was um, 39 years ago, it was in uh, the fall of 1984. Uh, and then shortly after that, we had our, the first large Jukai group and I remember being in the Zendo and uh, I'd never seen a ceremony. Maybe many of you haven't seen the ceremony. You can uh, think the Zendo is pretty full, right, Lori? But you can watch online. Uh, and I remember just, there's a point in the ceremony where uh, you receive a new Buddhist name. Uh, that your teacher has arrived at as expressive of who you are or attemptedly expressive of who you are. Usually it's pretty good. Uh, uh, and just where it's revealed because you haven't heard this before and nobody else has heard it either. And just I remember tears springing to my eyes in seeing people that, that they were my elders that I respected uh, being somehow uncovered or revealed to, to each of us and to themselves. So that's part of the ceremony. So in this ceremony, uh, students receive and it's a the ceremony is a, is an initiatory ceremony it is uh
when I had mine, my, uh, my sisters were there and she said, oh, this is like your Buddhist bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, which is true. You know, it's like, it's a confirmation. It's not a graduation. Uh, it's confirmation of some of a step that you've already taken, but it's, it's the affirmation of that step. Uh, and so in this ceremony, you receive uh, the 16 Bodhisattva precepts. So that's the three refuges, uh, refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, the three pure precepts to avoid evil, to do good and save all beings. And then the, the 10 uh, pure mind precepts and in the form that we, we have them uh, is a pair of uh, prohibitions and affirmations. Uh, so I vow not to kill, but to honor all life. Uh, uh, I vow not to steal, steal, but to practice generosity and so forth. Uh, the phrasing is a little, little different than that, but that's the sense. So it's not just the prohibitory dimension, it's also uh, how are we going to go forward in this world? So you receive the precepts, you receive a Raksu, which if you look at Joe's got his Raksu there, which is a, uh, a Buddhist robe uh, that's constructed in the, in the same uh, manner of construction as the robe that, that I'm wearing or that Ryushin is wearing. Uh, it's just, it's a smaller robe. Uh, and it's a, it's a preset garment. Wearing this robe is like wearing the uh, concretization of the precepts themselves. So receive a robe uh, which you have sewn. Uh, that's something in our tradition that is quite wonderful. You, a student, sews their own Raksu uh, and uh, if you doubt that you can do it, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Thousands of, hundreds of people have done it here. And uh, you take refuge with every stitch, every stitch that you place in this garment. Uh, say, Namu Kie Butsu. I take refuge in Buddha, or as um, Zeke, uh, Blanche Hartman just say, I, I plunge into Buddha. Uh, so it says you're sticking the needle in, you plunge into Buddha and then you draw back up through this particular stitch. Uh, and there's a lot of stitches, but you get a lot of help to get through this process. So you sew our own robe uh, and then you receive, as I said, a Dharma name and uh, a lineage paper, which is called the Kechimiyaku. And the lineage paper is uh, it's a beautiful document that at the top is the name of Shakyamuni Buddha. And then it goes, <clears throat> there's a red line, it's called bloodline which is what Kechimiyaku actually means, that leads through all the Indian ancestors and then all of the Chinese ancestors of the Rinzai lineage and the Soto lineage, and then uh, converging in Dogen, and then continuing down from Dogen to our teachers. So to uh, Shunryu Suzuki Roshi, and uh, Suzuki Roshi's son, Oitsu Suzuki Roshi, 
and Sojin Roshi, and then uh, in our case, from Sojin Roshi to me or to Ryushin, and then your name, your new name, and the line continues around from you back up to the top, to the head of the Buddha. So this is a continual, continuous, circular uh, inheritance of the Dharma. Uh, over the last 15 years, we've also uh, been part of the creation of a new document and uh, we confer that as well, which is uh, a document of women ancestors. It's not, you know, the, the Hechmiapu is the official Soto lineage, which is somewhat, I think it's somewhat real and somewhat fictional. And we don't exactly know, but it, it purports to be direct transmission from one ancestor to the X. And it's, if there are any actual, if there are actually any women in there, it's not so clear because it's a patriarchal tradition, which I'm not, I'm not proud of the fact that it's a patriarchal tradition. So after a lot of discussion and research, uh, a number of people really felt it was necessary to honor uh, women, known and unknown, in our Buddhist tradition. Uh, and so uh, that's what, that's what this, this women's document represents. And it's also a beautiful document of women's names in a circular fashion and continuous to, to you. And in uh, at least how we do it here is that this is not just a document that's given to women, it's given to everyone, uh, which is important. Uh, and it's important effort to recognize that in this, in the patriarchal dimension of uh, the Zen tradition, uh, there have always been women. There's always been leading women. And they have often been uh, disappeared from the history. And so this is at least an effort to bring them back into, to bring some of them into memory and into visibility at a time when uh, I like to think that the tradition is not so, is not as patriarchal as it was. I was really, when we had Sashin, was it last week Sashin? Uh, you know, at the closing of, uh, of aspects, it's like all, all the teachers that were standing in front uh, were women, you know, which is, it's not all the teachers that we have, and not all the senior students, but, you know, it's like, this is a shifting ground. And so I just, we wanted to honor that. So at the bottom of this document, there's also uh, a text that talks about the, the transmission, the transmission from the Buddha to Makashapa, from uh, Dogen's teacher, Rujing, from, from the fifth ancestor, the sixth ancestor from Rujing to Dogen, from Oitsu to Sojin, from Sojin to me and Ryushin, 
And the text says, in the text, it's got this beautiful line, which comes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Uh, the preceptual vein of the Buddha, so the precepts, is the one great causal condition of our lineage gate. Personally passed from Buddha on Gritakuta peak, protect and hold these precepts. Do not let them be cut off. This is, this is the pivotal beating heart of this process. Uh, to remember that without the precepts, uh, we don't have a tradition. You know, we can, we, anybody can meditate, right? You know, and your anybody can develop concentration. Uh, one of our teachers, Katagiri Roshi, used to talk about um, going to a casino in uh, in uh, Las Vegas and seeing how concentrated people were in front of the slot machines. You know. That's not dharma. <laughs> it is concentration. But it's minus that ethical dimension. And that ethical dimension is what is what gives it light, life. And so and also then one of the things about this ceremony which is beautiful to me is that it's The precepts are being transmitted to you from a teacher who's received them correctly in a ceremonial and ritual way. And then they are transmitting that to you. Uh, and it works, when it's working right, it works some mysterious ontological shift within yourself. Having received them correctly, we are changed. I often think about it, I think about like, uh, what I felt when I got married. It's like, oh, something's changed here. And I couldn't put a name to it or figure out quite what it was, but, uh, with that ritual, something shifts in one's inner being. And I feel like that's what, that's what we are enacting by the process of, uh, process of taking refuge as we sow the rocks to us, a process of receiving the precepts, having them transmitted to us, of finding our place and our name in the lineage. All of this is to locate us in this preceptual place and to take on the responsibility in that, uh, in those last two sentences, protect and hold these precepts. Do not let them be cut off. There's a beautiful chant at the end of the ceremony that we do three times. We live like a cloud in an endless sky, a lotus in muddy water, one with the pure mind of Buddha. The cloud in an endless sky, you know, it's like, that's us. We have the form, this form that is fluid and changeable that is existing within the entirety of the sky of life, if you will. And we have a particular shape, that shape can change. A cloud in an endless sky, a lotus in muddy water. Uh, how can we be, you know, if you look at, if you've seen a, 
a lotus. It's this incredible, brilliant flower, this, you know, this upwelling of extraordinary life, you know, in the middle of muddy ponds, you know, and this is what we're encouraged to be. We're encouraged to, to flower and rise and somehow draw from, you know, not this beautiful, clear water that we all like, but uh, water that's muddy, that's mixed up, that's, uh, that includes suffering and life forms that are decaying. And out of that, we rise. And we are one with the pure mind of Buddha. So the, the name of this ceremony, we, there's two names that we use for this, for the ceremony. Uh, kind of shorthand, we use the word Jukai. Uh, and uh, the other expression that we use is lay ordination. Uh, and that in Japanese means uh, Zaike Tokido, which means accomplishing the way as a householder. So we have Zaike Tokido, householder's ordination, and we have Shuke Tokido, priest ordination, which is home leaver's ordination. And to be quite honest with you, uh, the distinction in our particular tradition is, well, we talk about muddy water. <laughs> it's a little unclear. Uh, but there, there are different paths in which, different paths uh, in terms of what you might, how you might be manifesting or expressing your practice. But the fact of the matter is that, that we have, you know, we're not celibate monks, so home leavers, well, you know, I've been living up there for 35 years, 36 years, uh, you know, but it's, it's the home leaving is a, it's, it's a symbolic home leaving in a sense. And the home dwelling is a symbolic home dwelling because your home, this is my home. This is your home, each body. Uh, and we are here. Uh, and, you know, some of the priests are married. And some of the lay ordained people are celibate. You know, it's like uh, the tradition. I like this expression that I got from Bernie Glassman. Uh, you know, all this whole tradition is what he called, uh, it's marked by MSU, which is making stuff up, <laughs> you know. So it's all been made up, all ritual is made up, but that doesn't, that doesn't disconnect it from, from meaning. But at any rate, uh, Chukai literally means uh, accepting or receiving the precepts. And as I said, Zaike Tokido or lay ordination is uh, ordination as a lay person. It really is an ordination ceremony. And I think that um, lay ordination is, is the more accurate translation for what we're doing here. Uh, and it's different It's, it's, it's really a principal ceremony that we have here in the West, uh, much more so than you would find in Japan or in China. Uh, often, uh, it's a different function of this basic ceremony that you would find in Japan, which is that it usually happens as part of a funeral. So 
you receive the precepts and you may receive a Raksu uh, or you may receive there's another precept garment that uh, Ryan is wearing this Vagisa, it's like a collar uh, you may receive that in, at the funeral and a name uh, so that you can be born reborn in the pure land well we want to be reborn in the pure land now here and so we don't wait till you're dead uh, and so that is uh, it's a way of looking at this ceremony Dogen writes there's a beautiful fascicle that that he has that's called Jukai uh, like one of his last fascicles he says, all Buddhas and ancestors taught that receiving the precepts is the first step in the way. He also says that on receiving the Buddha's precepts, we immediately enter the position of all the Buddhas. So that's pretty challenging. You know, what is the Buddhist position when your old friend calls you to talk about Israel and Palestine? It's a lot of responsibility to understand what that position is. So, much more that I can say about it, but I, I just wanted to add also that um, the way this unfolds for people is uh, we, we prepare for lay ordination each year by doing, uh, by sewing our Roxas. We have a sewing, it's a sewing class that meets for a number of months, and people uh, people sew a Roxu. And at the same time, along with that, we study the Bodhisattva precepts. And so we're immersing ourselves in in the act of creating this garment, but also in our reflection on the on the precepts and in order to do that that's available to people who have who really feel at home in practice and been practicing here a while and uh you, if you're interested in doing that you would you would ask permission from me from one of the teachers uh whether they're priests or uh, someone who is a, a senior student, not a priest, uh, who you see as a teacher, and, and ask, ask their permission to, uh, to take this, to do this ceremony. And then you begin on this path together. And it's one thing that's lovely here is that basically we sew together. So there's a sort of cohort of people who are going through this uh, at the same time. And so that's something that uh, some of you might think about and you can approach one of us if that interests you. We'll probably begin sewing in January or February, I believe. Uh, and it's a matter of discussion. You know, you're teacher may feel this is an appropriate step at this time they may feel oh perhaps you should uh, practice here a bit longer and we'll you know we'll look for this to do this in the in the coming year next year um, but it's something that I invite you to think about and I really invite people to uh, to tune in this afternoon because it's, it's quite beautiful. So I think I'm going to stop there 
and leave time for thoughts and discussions. Yushin, is there something you would like to say? Thanks so much for your talk. I really Thank you so much for your talk. I really, I really appreciated it. Maybe the one dimension we didn't touch on is how, and we won't feel it as much today as we do sometimes, but every year when we do lay ordination, it's an opportunity for everyone to renew their vows. Whether they hold the precepts in their heart and they have not yet taken them, or whether you've taken them before 40 years ago. It really is a very joyous occasion to reawaken and connect with our deep intention to wake up and be of health. Yeah. So please come. Yes, and, and the thing I would add also um, in that context is this is a ceremony that we do in community. Uh, and so you know, you're in the, from the lineage paper, you're in the community of the Buddhas and ancestors. Uh, but you're, you've been sowing in community, you're, you receive, uh, you do this ceremony in community, and it's witnessed by the whole community. It's, it's not a private individual uh, ceremony. It's, it's a, it's a public affirmation and recognition. That's why, you know, I think that my sister describing it as my Buddhist bar mitzvah is not so inaccurate. Someone else? Other thoughts or questions? And if you have, if you have anything, if there's anyone out there online, uh, feel free to raise your hand as well. And I'll call on you. Would you say the names of the people that are taking? Yes. Um, I will be ordaining Jamie Kimmel and Jim Herb. Jim's here. Jamie's not here, right? At the moment. And Ryushin will be. You want to say who you're? Since you can hear me, I'll be conferring precepts for Greg Hertz. Pauline Kirshen and Evan Verlin. Yeah, thank you. Peter. Thank you. That was, that was, uh, that was really great to listen to. Thank you. I have, um, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking of how I'm going to use phrase expanding about left and right, but which somehow points to something about what we're trying to do here. Say the phrase again. I missed it. I'm sorry? What is the phrase? The phrase is, you reap what you sow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know that this is just... There's probably some interesting explorations in the connection creating the proxy. But anyway, uh, never occurred to me before what talking about. What did, well, don't take the microphone away. Uh, what does it mean to you? It means to me that there's, this, there's a thing. This ordination is about establishing a connection between your conscious choices and how you receive uh, the results. Yeah, I think that uh, to me, so you're in a sense you're speaking about karma, correct? Yeah. Uh, the Buddhist idea of karma. Often when we think about karma, we think about it as like fate or predestination or something like that, which in some, in some Asian religious traditions, it's pretty close to that. But 
to me, what karma implies in the Buddhist tradition, uh, you have karma and vipaka. You have you have uh, volitional action and result, uh, fruit. And what karma implies. It creates, there's a space between what you sow and what you reap. And you need to flip them backwards. So if you sow something, or before you sow something, maybe, I don't want to get too abstract. Before you sow something, uh, if you can see what you're going to reap, you have a space to do something else. You recognize there's going to be a result. Certain actions are gonna have a result. So, you know, uh, you can look at that on a microcosmic level of our smallest thoughts and words and actions and you can also look at it, you know, in a even in a international or geopolitical dimension, you know. In another way of looking at uh, what the Buddha called dependent origination, the simplest formulation is because this arises, that arises. If this doesn't arise, that doesn't arise. So the, the position that we have as humans is right in the middle of the actual choices that we have in terms of what we do uh, and recognizing you're going to reap just what you sow puts you in the position of if you receive the precepts, you have you have the wherewithal to reflect on that before you do something that's harmful, and that all of the precepts. Uh, once I asked one of my teachers, Harada Roshi, about the precepts, and you know, he said, "Well, you know, I was asking, I think, well, uh, do we need precepts?" And he said, basically. Well, if there were no people, there'd be no precepts. <laughs> I paused on that for a moment. But then when you think about it, the implication of that is that the field of the precepts is entirely the field of relationships between oneself and others, between oneself and oneself, between oneself and all of the objects around us. It's completely inclusive. It's about relationship. And it's, it's meant to be a guide uh, to a wholesome way of being in relationship to people and to ourselves. Marco. Oh, there's some hands out there too. Um, you were talking about how, uh, in this example of like being in Las Vegas and this like concentration is not, um, uh, I forget exactly what you said. But it's, it's not Dharma. It's not Dharma. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about. Um, the importance of, or a little bit more about practicing in community and in tradition when kind of in a more fundamental sense, maybe like awakening is always accessible. First of all, just to go back a moment, concentration is one of the factors of enlightenment. It's also one of the 
steps on the Eightfold Path, but in, in, in each case, they're talking about right concentration. And right concentration uh, is really the concentration that's been infused by the wisdom of the precepts. Uh, and for me, I think that you're asking about community. Community is the context and the setting within which I practice. Uh, you know, I, I contain the practice or I manifest the practice in, in my own life as best I can. But the real cauldron that it's cooking, cooking in is the cauldron of community, of relationship. And so that's where it's, um, that's where it's really always evolving to me. Uh, and I think that's our whole practice. I think that, that the Zen practice is very explicitly organized that way. Uh, perhaps in a sense more so than some other Buddhist traditions. I mean, just look, we, we sit right next to each other. We, we walk together, we walk together. We're not just walking as individuals, we're walking as a uh, kind of like a, a millipede, you know, as one, as one organism that has, where our legs are moving independently, but we're all moving in a collective space. Uh, we eat together, we work together. There's a, there's this, this dimension of Sangha is really manifest. And so I think that's, that's beautiful. Uh, I, I'm so grateful to, to have that, you know, I think in part because if I look back over my life, uh, all my life I've been leaning towards community in one form or another. And I've got, I have these various communities that I'm part of, and it's always been tremendously meaningful to me, uh, you know, well before I took up this practice. And this practice just really kind of brings it all back home. Um, is, uh, so, Miyogetsu. Thank you, Hosan. Um, last year, when um, I was with my cohort, uh, sewing our Roxus and um, getting ready for Jukai. Um, I was really struck by how this, the process um, really sort of guided me in a way that I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And I didn't know exactly. I mean, I, I knew I signed up for this and I knew that um it's just a reflection of where I am in my process. And here I am a year later, so excited for the new people um, and getting to, you know, be a little bit involved in, in um, their ceremony today. And I just feel like this, some, there's something the the precepts are like, you know, I'm, I'm in this stream and I'm, I'm, I'm going along in the water and I'm, and I'm flowing in the right direction because they kind of, they guide me in a way that is good for me. And, and every day I can be looking at the precepts and like, oh yeah, is this, am I, am I giving or am I stealing? Am I, you know, am I killing something like myself, you know, or am I giving life? So I, I, I don't know exactly 
where I'm going in the future, but I know that right now I have enough. Um, I have, I have my sangha, I have my community, I have the principles, I have the precepts, and it is a um, just. I, I feel really grateful that um, I got to do this, and and I'm so excited for the people who are getting to do this. Well, thank you for testifying. <laughs> You're preaching at us. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, two things is that, that come to me from what you were saying. One is um, to cherish this feeling of not knowing what you're doing. You know, it's like there's a... Uh, a koan where the teacher says, not knowing is most intimate. Uh, and if we can get out of the, if we can set aside our knowing, there's all kinds of things that we might bear witness to and, and see and allow to rise. So that's, uh, that's one point. The other point is just, the whole, the implication of the Kechimyaku is to really express the fact that you are in a stream. You know, uh, you're not just in the stream of, of ancestors who are on that page. You're also in the stream of all the women who we see on the women ancestor document. And of all the people who have ever received the precepts, this is this is now the world that we have together. And for me, that also includes um, people who live by the values of the precepts, uh, irrespective of whatever faith they may be. You know, they're. They're all around us. You know, they may call it by a different name. So thank you. Time for one more, perhaps. Anyone else here? Did you have a question, sir? No, I was uh, yes, sir. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, sister. <laughs> Just looking around, see this. Anyone else? Is there anyone else out there? And if not, we will say good morning.